All right, we welcome you. This is part four in our series through the book, The Song of Solomon. And in this session, you see in your notes, we're talking about the art of dating, part one. It'll take us two sessions to address this theme of dating. And specifically, what we're going to study over the next couple sessions is three keys to successful dating. Now, remember dating. Uh, dating for most of us was like the best of times and maybe also the worst of times, you know? Uh, and let me tell you, as we begin, my worst of times dating experience, okay? It's a little embarrassing. I was in the eighth grade, and her name was Gina. I mean, she was the hottie of the school. And uh, drop-dead gorgeous, every guy, you know, just had his eyes on her, and one day at lunch, we're just kind of in the quad area. This is uh, during just a school lunch, you know, break. My, my friends, my guy friends, were like hanging out. And there's Gina with her girls. And my guys, they throw out me a double dog dare. They say, Mark, if you walk up to Gina right now and ask her in front of all of her friends out on a date, we'll pay you $5. And I was dumb enough to take the bet, Okay. So I walk up to Gina, this is in the eighth grade, and this is what I said. I walk, she's with all of her friends, and I said, hey, Gina, babe, would you like to go out with me? And I, that, that, those are my words. And I kind of put my head down because I was like a little embarrassed. Well, she had this purse, and inside the purse, which she forgot about, she told me later, was a fully loaded Coke can. And she swung the purse like this without me seeing it and let it go at like Mach 5. And the purse hit me in the head. It threw me over into the planter, you know, over the bench. I mean, literally almost knocked me out. I was full out dazed. I mean, <laughs> I come to all the girls had run and all my guy friends are just like dying laughing at this whole experience. Now, the good news is, Gina felt really bad about what she did later, and so she finally did agree to go out with me, and she kissed me. It was kind of, you know. <laughs> but dating can be tough. It really can be. Fortunately, Tracy did not have a fully loaded Coke can in her purse. I'm going to tell you that story a little bit later of our first date. But the Song of Solomon is all about one couple. It's about Solomon and the Shulamite maiden. And there's eight chapters, there's eight romantic scenes, and Solomon, he wrote the book after he was married, and he's looking back at their relationship. And it, the book tracks for us all the stages of romantic life. Scene number one, in chapter one, through verses one through eight, it's all about their attraction. And we've been learning about that the last two sessions. Then we come to scene number 2 in chapter 1, verse 9, through chapter 2, verse 7, and that's all about their dating life. Now, you may be wondering, because you're connecting the dots, how could a document that's written in a culture of arranged marriages in the Middle East, which we know, give us guidance regarding our modern-day phenomena called dating? And the answer is you might find really surprising. Because Solomon the Shulamite, from all apparent evidence, did not have a traditionally arranged marriage like most marriages were in the Old Testament. 
Solomon and the Shulamite, they met in a vineyard, not arranged by their parents, and they certainly dated, as we're going to see. Now, by the age of 16, virtually every teenager we know understands the intricacies, the dangers, the details of how to operate their cell phone, their computer. They are experts at that. We know that. Yet often, they remain clueless when it comes to the intricacies, dangers, and details of how to date someone. I know adults who are still clueless about how to date someone. So, you know, what is dating? What is the purpose of dating? What should you do on a date? How far is too far on a date? Where do you draw the line physically on a date? So let me begin by telling you about my first date with Tracy. Now, I told you about our times of attraction. For me, I was attracted to her when I saw her in the school at Simpson College in the hallway, and then she was attracted to me physically when she saw me lying on the beach, on Laguna Beach. She was like, my man. But our first date, okay, in 1985, okay, I'm in Castro Valley, I'm living in my apartment, and I'm making phone calls. Now, I was a youth pastor back then, and we had the church directory, which was really helpful. So you got all the names of the girls in the directory. And I'm just having fun. I'm just calling girls at random, and I'm with two of my buddies, and we're like, the first three girls that answer the phone or call us back, we'll just take those three girls, and we're just going to go out and have fun. So two of the girls responded like, yeah, okay, when we had three guys, we're like, we need the third girl. And the phone rings, and I think it's a girl calling us back, and it happens to be Tracy. We'd never really talked on the phone that I recall, but see, she was going to Simpson College, and in order to go to Simpson College, you have to have the ministry. And she knew I was the pastor, and she was like wondering if she could volunteer and serve in our ministry. Now, we know the real reason she was, <laughs> she was working it, Okay. And by the way, is it okay for a girl to pursue a guy? The Shulamite did. Tracy did. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> now, our first date, so Tracy says, I, I, actually, when she called, I go, you're the third girl. And she's like, what? And I told her, I go, hey, can you come out? And she's living across the bay in San Francisco. And she goes, sure. And she immediately comes out, and we like, we have a group date. We go to Berkeley. We have pizza and ice cream. We just have a blast. I'm like, she is so fun, this girl. And we're in a four-wheel drive, and uh, there's six of us there, and we decide at midnight to go four-wheel driving at my parents' ranch. So we head on out to the 90 acres, and uh, my parents are asleep, and we're like going to go wheeling up in the hills. And so we come to a bridge that you have to cross in order to get up into the hills, and there's a gate, and Tracy was, you know, seated next to me. I'm driving because I knew the terrain. And uh, so she jumps out. She goes, I'll get the gate. So she jumps out of the, the car, the four-wheel drive, and she hit the only spot in the bridge where there was a missing plank. She literally went through the plank, and she, like, disappeared. And I'm like, what? And it's, like, pure dark. And so I jump out of my car door, and I come around, and there she is stuck in the bridge. And her, her, her whole uh, leg got all, I mean, it's bleeding and there, it, was, it was a bad deal. And so I pick her up, load her into the car. We bring her back to my ranch, wake my parents up. We're getting the peroxide out. And she's got a skirt on, and her leg is all torn up, and she had uh, nylons on. And so I'm kind of acting like the doctor, and I have to take these <laughs> nylons off. 
And I'm like, she's an awesome girl with like gorgeous legs. And I could tell she's all self-conscious about this. And in that moment, something took place with me and with her. We, we, something clicked. We moved from this invisible barrier, this hurdle between attraction and dating. I mean, we started this transition. See, you can observe someone and be attracted to someone and learn some things about them based on just their looks at a distance. But then dating is when you spend personal time and get to know someone on a personal basis. I mean, you can get objective information about a person that you feel attracted to, but dating is when you get firsthand knowledge about a person through conversation and shared experiences. It's a time to learn in dating who this person is in various situations and circumstances, uh, what they believe in, what, what they care for, uh, what are their goals, what are their dreams, what are their desires. Now, the question we want to ask in this session is this, how can you date successfully? And it's going to take us two sessions. And what we want to study is three keys to successful dating. Now, the Song of Solomon gives us some great principles on the art of dating, and dating is an art. And if you're going to be successful in dating, you're going to need these three keys modeled by Solomon and the Shulamite, okay? We'll study two of them in this session. Number one, successful dating requires time wisely invested. Dating requires time. That's the whole point of dating is to get to know the other person. And it takes time to get to know someone else. I mean, I'm still getting to know Tracy. We've been married 31 years. Now, in chapter 1, verse 9, through chapter 2, verse 7, it gives us a picture of Solomon and the Shulamite, and they're spending time together. That's just what we see. And so let me give you three wise guidelines about spending time dating that we see emerge from this text, that we see modeled by them. Number one, spend time in appropriate public settings. The setting for Solomon and the Shulamite, their first date, it was a picnic. It was out in the open, in full view of the public. Now, you remember, Song of Solomon, it's cast in this poetic language and imagery. So it's not always easy to, as you read it, to go, what is this saying? But you have to kind of get into the Hebrew and understand what's going on, and then it paints this beautiful picture. So in chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, it says this, How beautiful you are, my love. Oh, how charming. Our bed is verdant. The beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. Now, the word bed in Hebrew is, a, is the word for couch or for a place you would sit on. It, the word verdant means green with growing plants. So they're outdoors. They're outdoors in nature, in public, and the cedars and the fir trees, they're, they're forming a canopy above them. Maybe they're on a blanket. We don't know. It was a romantic outdoor setting for sure, but it wasn't a private setting. The best place to start dating is, watch this, appropriate public places. When Tracy and I first started dating, it was a public dating. It was a public date out in Berkeley, four-wheel driving with a bunch of friends. And for me, I wanted to spend as much time with Tracy as we started our dating experience in as many public settings as I could get her in, in church, with our family, with friends, shopping for groceries, uh, sporting events, 
group interaction, running errands. I remember, you know, laundry at the laundromat, uh, stressful, even crisis situations I wanted to see her in. Why? Because you learn so much about a person in different public settings. That's where it begins. How your date responds to you and to others, what, she's, what she likes, what she doesn't like, all of this. And in my opinion, dating moves from the safety of public settings to potentially compromising private settings way too quick, just too quick. One guy said this, we somehow got into the backseat of my car and we got tempted. Duh. I mean, notice Solomon and the Shulamite did not date in the backseat of his souped up, you know, chariot with a hemi in it, okay? I mean, that's not how they're beginning. Galatians 6.1 says, but watch yourself or you may be tempted. I mean, as you're beginning to date, you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you're being tempted. Spend time dating in appropriate public settings. That's how you begin. The whole point is to get to know their character. You see what they are on the outside, but remember we talked about level two attraction. You want to get to know their character. Is this a person you should continue to date? You need to see the way they interact with public. Second, spend time with a no-strings-attached policy. Solomon and the Shulamite, they're on a date, they're in a public setting, they're totally enjoying themselves. There's this freedom, there's no pressure, there's no expectations, there's no obligation. There's none of that. They're just having fun. Dating should not be obligatory in any sense of the word. If you begin to date a person exclusively, you've moved from dating into courtship. Now, we'll talk about courtship. That's the next step. You, don't want, you want to go from attraction to dating, then courtship. It's not attraction into courtship. You skip dating, you are in trouble. That is not what God's word kind of shows us here. That's not God's best for romantic relationships. So you don't want to hurry the process. The more time you spend in dating, in public settings, the more you're going to get to know that person and see who they're like, really like, and be able to make a good decision whether this is a person you want to continue to date and possibly even then court and then marry or not. You say, well, how can I maintain a no-strings-attached dating policy? Because, Mark, I've gone from just attraction, and it, goes, it seems like it goes there so many times. Well, you've got to guard and have principles in your life that will help you maintain this. And the best way to do it is this. You go on group dates. Go on group dates. Double and triple date with friends. Be around friends who are Christians. I mean, if this person has the character that you want to date and court and eventually marry, be in those kind of public settings. That, that'll keep it. No strings attached because it's just all for fun. And stay in public settings. So important. Third point about spending time wisely in dating. Spend time in post-date evaluation. Now, we're not told about the time that Solomon and the Shulamite had in, in, in evaluating their date, but I can assure you they took the time to evaluate each other after every single date. But the principle we can infer from the text is this. Dating is a time for evaluation. It just is. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22 says, test everything. That's a command in the Bible. That means even your date, you should test them. And the, the Bible says, hold on to the good, 
Avoid every kind of evil. After every date, you should test the date by asking yourself two basic questions. Is this someone to hold on to because they have good character? Remember, hold on to the good. And second, is this someone to avoid because their character is not good? The Bible says, avoid every kind of evil. So you've got to evaluate after every single date. What you're trying to do is, obviously, you would not agree to go out with them on a date unless you're not attracted to them physically. That's level one attraction. In dating, you're trying to determine, does this person have a level two character that is worthy of me continuing to date, possibly court, and possibly to marry? That's the whole point of dating, to figure out if you want to take it to the next level. And by the way, brief, frequent dates over a prolonged period of time, that's the best. I mean, too much time, too soon, and you will be prone to leap to conclusions that you would never make if you took the time to remain more objective. You get so overwhelmed with feelings, and, and you just don't make wise decisions. So, so the first guideline for successful dating, successful dating comes with time wisely invested. That means you have guidelines that, that lead you into how you spend time in that dating process. And the first key is that. Spend time in appropriate public settings. These are the guidelines. Spend time with a no-strings-attached policy. Spend time in post-dating evaluation. Now, I'd like us to discuss this at our tables. Just kind of talk this one through a little bit. Discuss the three principles for wisely spending time while dating. What principle is easiest to follow? And which principle is most challenging? All right, go ahead and talk about that. Okay, so we're talking about three keys to successful dating. Number one, successful dating requires time wisely invested. I mean, you're attracted to this person. You got level one attraction, and you're trying to figure out, do they have the character for someone that I'd want to date and then go further with into courtship, possibly even marriage. The second statement or key to successful dating, successful dating requires affirmation equally exchanged. You want to say, okay, when I do date this person, is there this awesome affirmation, this back and forth that's taking place between us? Some people would call it chemistry, but it's more than chemistry. It's going deeper into the way you converse and respond to each other. How do you experience a, date, a great date? It's very simple. Affirm the value, the specialness, the uniqueness of the other person. And your dating experience will be romantic. It'll be alive. It'll be very special and positive. You want to kill the date? You know, when you first see her, tell her she looks like a bale of hay. <laughs> Romance is just, you know, down the hill. Or you can say, wow, you look great. That's affirming. You know, there's this book called The Happy Marriage. It's kind of a, a corny title, but I read it because it's based on really great scientific uh, discovery and study. And The Happy Marriage, it's all about discovering what is the number one trait that happy couples have in common. And this is what it discovered hands down. Happy couples, all of them, what they all have in common, they don't all look the same, they're not the same age, but they all affirm each other. They use positive language one to another. That's what all, you want to have a happy marriage, 
You've got to have affirmation equally be in exchange back and forth. If that isn't happening, stop dating the person. Move on. This is God's plan for your romance. Don't you want a marriage that's happy? The number one trait is this right here. Affirmation equally exchanged. Complimenting, affirmation. That is the foundation for romance. Now, question. If you are married, let me just ask you, when was the last time you complimented your spouse? Hopefully today. Hopefully it's daily. Because I can tell you, your marriage, the degree it's happy, is the degree you compliment one another. That should be happening daily. Ephesians 4.29 says, do not, not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Husbands, wives, did you hear that? No, zero unwholesome talk out of your mouth toward your spouse. Zero. Zero. That's God's word. You've got to marry someone with the character of that. If they're negative and complaining and cutting, why would you marry them if you're dating them? Why? Why would you court them if they're that? But only, speak only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That is, this person should be helpful in their conversation, building up, that's edifying, and it benefits you when you listen to them speak. Now, in chapter 1, verses 9 through 17, these verses are filled with these rich, alternating, amazing verbal affirmations of Solomon to the Shulamite, then Shul the Shulamite to Solomon. And you just, it's just like a tennis match going back and forth. It's so affirming, and you're just like, you read it, you kind of laugh at it because you don't really understand what's being said. It just seems a little, you know, what, what is going on here? But when you get into the Hebrew, it's just so beautiful what's being portrayed. I mean, these two cannot say enough about each other. That's how it should be in dating. You should not be able to say enough about each other in dating. You know, there's this old Jimmy Stewart movie where this young man, he's asking for Mr. Stewart, his daughter's hand in marriage, you know, and the young guy says, uh, uh, can I marry your daughter, sir? And Stewart replies, well, do you like her? And the young man replies, yes, sir, I love her. And no, Stuart replied, I didn't ask that. I, I, I asked, do you like her? You see, like is the prerequisite for romance. If you can't convince a woman you like her, she'll never believe you love her. Guys, never marry a woman you don't like. Gals, <laughs> never marry a guy you don't like. I mean, it's so basic. But how many people go into courtship and in marriage and marry someone that's not their best friend? I'm like, are you serious? This is what God is telling us is like the basis for romance. Now, let me give you two ways to affirm in dating. This is how you date in an affirming way. Number one, regard your date highly. Notice how Solomon regards the Shulamite. Chapter 1, verse 9. I liken you, my darling to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Now, I know you read that, and you're just like, I don't get it. I mean, <laughs> at first glance, that doesn't sound too romantic. But let me just kind of paint what's going on here. The mare Solomon was referring to was this beautiful, majestic white horse that went before Pharaoh. It, it was white so it could be seen miles away so that great homage could be prepared for Pharaoh in advance as they saw him way off in the distance 
coming to their town. So this white horse was one of the most precious things in all of Egypt. It was considered a virtual deity, worship for its beauty. Solomon was saying to the Shulamite, your value is beyond monetary comparison. Your worth is infinite. You are one in a million. This is a rich compliment regarding her value, and everyone knew about this white, beautiful horse back then. And then Solomon continues, chapter 1, verses 10, 11. He says, your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make for you earrings of gold studded with silver. So now he's complimenting her beauty, her cheeks and her neck, and the beauty even of her jewelry, he's pointing out. This is building up a woman. Then he says, I notice you're not wearing earrings right now. And he says, if you like, we can make you earrings of gold studded with silver, if that would please you. I mean, is that exciting or what if you're a gal? Wow. Solomon is regarding her highly. He's affirming her beauty. Now it's her turn. Listen to what she says about Solomon in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. Now, what's going on here? Watch this. One of the most precious things to a woman back then was this pouch of perfume that gave her her fragrance. And this sachet of perfume, it was this very expensive aromatic rosin, this myrrh, and it came from the trees in Arabia. This was a very expensive perfume. And she is saying, Solomon, you are my pouch of myrrh. You give me my fragrance. You are my fragrance. Resting between my breasts simply means she dreams of him. She thinks of him. Maybe this was the location of where this pouch was. But it's a beautiful portrayal. She's building him up. She's regarding him highly. And then she continues in chapter 1, verse 14. My lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Ein Gedi. Now, again, we don't get that. But they got it immediately. Henna is a Palestinian herb. It's found in places like Ein Gedi. It, it, Ein Gedi is an, an oasis on the western shore of the Dead Sea. And henna blossoms uh, produce this amazing, captivating fragrance. And she is saying, Solomon, Solomon, just the thought of you is like this pleasant aroma of henna blossoms. So, so he regards her as this beautiful mare of infinite worth. And then she regards him as her sachet of myrrh, her very fragrance. And notice how their affirmation moves from regard now to respect. They're becoming a little bit more direct now in their expressions toward one another, which you should be doing in dating. You go from the general to the more specific because you're becoming very focused in your affirmations. So the second way to affirm someone in dating, you regard your date highly, but then second, you respect your date greatly. I mean, guys, if you want to win the affection of a woman you are dating, affirm her with great respect. Tell her, show her how much you respect her. When a woman feels that a man respects her, she will instinctively have romantic feelings toward him. If a woman feels disrespected, gone are those romantic feelings. Dr. James Dobson has said this, the greatest sex organ on a woman is her mind. When a woman knows you regard her highly and respect her greatly in her mind, 
That is the foundation for romance. Regard, respect, and romance, they're all cousins. They are part of the same family. If you want to have romance, you've got to have regard. You've got to have respect. It's got to be mutually exchanged. And the more it's mutually exchanged, the higher the romance. Notice how they respect one another. Listen, as Solomon says in chapter 1, verse 15, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. I mean, when you see a dove, and we've all seen a dove, Doves are gentle. They're beautiful creatures. And you're gentle in the way you move toward it. You want to treat it tenderly. And so Solomon looks at her beauty and her eyes, and he sees this tender dove. It's kind of like what Peter talked about in 1 Peter 3, 4. The beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. That's the image that comes to Solomon's mind. And can you imagine ladies being portrayed as a beautiful dove in your character? This is what Solomon is pointing out. I respect you so much. You're so beautiful. You're so tender. I so, see so much beauty and tenderness in you, my darling. Then the Shulamite says in chapter 1, verse 16, how handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. Now, the word handsome, it's the same Hebrew word for beautiful. But it's in the masculine tense or in the masculine state. Then she says, how charming. She's saying, you're so pleasant, appropriate, nice, tactful, kind. I mean, this is the kind of guy, gals, you want to date and then court and then marry. I mean, he hasn't even laid a hand on her yet. Solomon hasn't even kissed her. You're going to know when he kisses her. And you're going to know when he does more than that. We'll get to that. But then she calls him her lover. This is what she says. That may seem like, wow, wait a minute, they haven't even courted. That's where you have to understand the Hebrew word lover. Lover is the same Hebrew word used by David concerning Jonathan. David was saying to Jonathan, when you look at the Hebrew word, he's just saying, you're my best friend. There's no sexual connotation of love there in an erotic sense, and she's not saying that also. She's just saying, you're like my best friend. The way you treat me. This is like how best friends treat each other. Solomon and the Shulamite, in their dating experience, they're like, they're becoming best buddies. This is what dating's about. For you to discover, is this going to be my best friend for life? And let me make a statement about marriage. Marry your best pal. Marry your best friend. Tracy is a thousand times over my best friend. I'm a thousand times over her best friend. That didn't come 31 years later. That came before I proposed to her. She was my best friend, and I found that in dating. That's what you want to discover in dating. If you can't become best friends with someone in dating, don't move on to courtship. Don't go there. Learn your lesson. Successful dating involves affirmation equally exchanged. Watch this. If only one is affirming, it's not enough. It has to be both affirming. If only one is affirming, you're trying to affirm, she just doesn't, or he doesn't seem to respond. It ain't happening. Mutual affirmation is needed for successful dating and romance. He regards her, she regards him. He respects her, she respects him. So let me ask you a question. Those of you who are single here, you're dating. Is this happening? If it's happening, this mutual respect and affirmation, and they're become, you're both then keep dating. How special. If it's not, stop 
dating. <laughs> it's not rocket science. It's not that difficult. If the person you're dating is, is cutting you down and putting you down and, and derogatory comments and they're negative, they're putting you off, they're pushing you away, why would you continue to still date them? Don't you know God has someone for you that will regard you highly and respect you and honor you who will become your best friend? God has that person. And dating is the time. Remember, Song of Solomon is written for singles. So we would learn this when we're single and we could evaluate attraction as well as dating and work through the process. Now, if you find yourself being attracted to someone who's like, for example, you may see someone who's a 10 in their looks, okay, just a 10, but a 5 in their character. And then you know someone who's a 10 in their character, but a 5 in their looks. Take the person who's a 10 in their character a thousand million times over a person who's a 10 in their looks and a 5 in their character. Character is what lasts for romance. If you're going to be so shallow through life, how many people here, I won't ask for a raise of hands, if you doubt this, talk to anyone in this room or anyone who's gone through a divorce. And you ask them what's more important, looks or character. Every single time, they will say the most important thing is character. Character is the foundation of romance. If you're a young person, don't get taken away. The looks are going to slide one day. <laughs> They're going to go down. But character, let me tell you, that's what remains. That's what don't you want to be a couple of one day, 50, 60, 70 years married, and they're just in love with each other? Don't you want that? That, only ha that doesn't happen because you are good looking. That's happening because you have great character. Take your Bibles. This I'm throwing in for free, okay? It's not in your outlines. <laughs> Take your Bibles. Turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. You'll have to add this to your notes. Galatians 5. I just, I want to just... I, want to, I say this because I love you, and especially if you're a young person watching this or you're here. Look at this scripture. In Galatians 5 and verse 7, it's kind of a sad verse, but I have seen this as a pastor in ministry over the years. In verse 7, Galatians 5, verse 7, you are running a good race. Now, he's speaking to Christians. He's like, man, you're running a good race. You're doing fine. Then he says, who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? You're going along and all of a sudden someone cuts in on you. You start dating the wrong person. And someone cut in on you and now they prevented you from experiencing God's best for you for romance. You were taken in by this person. Maybe you were attracted by their good looks and that's all right. You should be. But watch this. As you begin to date, you have to use discernment and say, is this the kind of person that I want to continue dating? You say, Mark, elaborate a little bit more on that. Okay. This is who you should not date. Look at verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. This is not difficult to make a decision about who you should not date. Because that person is just reflecting a bunch of sin. Sexual immorality. Is the guy or a gal wanting to sleep with you? Don't date him. Stop it. It's not difficult. Do you want God's best for romance? You, you got to wise up. You got to smarten up. Impurity. Don't date a person who's impure. Debauchery. That means wickedness, gross wickedness. 
idolatry. That means this person is worshiping things or other than God. Witchcraft, that means that's borderline like occult stuff. Hatred, you see hatred in their life toward their parents, toward authority, don't date them. Discord, that means they love to fight. Are they always fighting with you? Stop dating them. Go on to someone way better. Jealousy, are they jealous of other guys or gals the way they look at you when you're dating? Are you serious? Do you know what that kind of person is like in marriage? You do not want to date a person like that. Fits of rage, I mean rage? They're flying off the handle? Selfish ambition. Are they all just about themselves? Dissensions, that means, you know, just division. Factions, that means fighting. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, this is God like warning you. You want God's best for romance? Don't date a person with that character. They may be amazing on the outside, but what are they on the inside? You say, well, what should I look for on the inside? Verse 23 but the fruit of the Spirit, this is so obvious, is love. You see love from that person? Date them. Do they love you? Is there joy? Is there peace? Is there patience? Is there kindness? Is there goodness? Is there faithfulness? Is there gentleness? Is there self-control? That's who you date. And if you don't see that, move on to someone else that God has for you. Now, you need to remember, the context for all of this as we go back to the Song of Solomon is they're on a picnic. They're outside, Solomon and the Shulamite. They're with the cypresses and the cedars in a public place, and there's this amazing volume back of exchange and affirmation and encouragement. If that's not happening in a public setting, why would you ever want to get alone with a person in a private setting? You can figure so much out about a person in public to figure out if you ever want to go out on a date with them in private. Now, let me give a word here to married couples. Romance deteriorates when you stop dating each other. Never stop dating your spouse. Romance requires time wisely spent. It requires affirmation mutually exchanged. Are you neglecting spending time with each other? See, the great thing is we can learn from God's word and go, yeah, when's the last time you've been out on a date? Why have we let this slip? That's all right. Learn. Start again. Have you gotten away from affirming one another and just kind of, you can slip away from this and you need to refine your romance. It's an art. Romance is an art. Regard one another highly. Respect one another greatly. Renew your commitment to spend time wisely with one another, affirming. And romance, guess what? It'll come, it'll come back. Go home today and tell your wife or your husband five things you love about them. I guarantee they will have romantic feelings toward you. I guarantee. Honey, I just, and you say this. Wow. Men, and watch this. We're going to get into this into the future. You are called to take the lead. Men are called to be the leaders of the romantic relationship. We're going to see that. Take the time to continually regard her and respect her, listen to her, lift her up, lead by your example, and she will follow you. You set the tone of romance. Every man sets the tone of romance for their marriage. We're going to see that in the future. Now, let's talk about this. What are some practical ways that you can grow in the area of affirming regarding highly and respecting greatly? For some of you, your spouse just, they, they knock it out of the park. Boom. 
when it comes to this area. This is your opportunity to brag on them. What are some ways that you actually do this in marriage? If you're single, listen up at the tables. Go ahead and talk about this for a couple minutes. Okay, well, this morning we've studied two. Two of the three keys for successful dating, okay? Next session, we come together, we're going to study the third key for successful dating. Married couples, please, please, please be here next Sunday. This third principle is so important, especially for married couples. Singles as well, you need all three, but especially will this literally transform your romantic life when you understand the third principle and you begin doing it. I want to just review what we talked about. I want to make sure you get this. This just isn't information. This is meant to transform you. It's meant, it's meant to change the way that you actually approach romantic relationships, that you look at them differently the way you're attracted to people. It's just not on the outside, but it's on the inside as well. If you get that, then you got the first level of you need to go through attraction and approach it the right way. And then dating. Successful dating requires time wisely spent. you got to spend, and, and, and as you're just starting to date, it's in appropriate public settings. It starts there. It just starts there. And then you, it's a no-strings-attached policy. It's not like you're going steady right at the beginning. You're missing it. You, you've passed dating and you're into courtship. You are dating the person to get to know their character. And it's just friends at the beginning. If you can't become friends with them, wow, I mean, that's the foundation of romance. And then you spend time in this post-date evaluation. You're talking about that person with your friends and your family and your own walk with God and your value. Are they someone with good character to hold on to? This is what we're talking about. This is what dating's about. And then the second principle is affirmation equally exchanged. You have to come out of that date and say, was there this volleying in back of affirmation and encouragement and, and we're building each other up? Was that taking place in the date? Or is the guy or the gal cutting me down, putting me down, snide remarks, is it negative? You don't want that. Just say, okay, uh, nice to know you. We're friends. Bye. <laughs> Move on. Next session, we're going to look at an amazing key. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the example we have from Solomon and the Shulamite in this area of dating. Dating, Lord, it's an art. And God, we learn how to do it well. And Lord, you use dating to bring us to the person we'll eventually marry. And once we're married, use dating to keep our romance alive. So Lord, I pray that you'd give us wisdom. Each person here, regardless of our age, we want to be able to use our time wisely. Lord, for those of us who aren't married, I pray that you give us wisdom to use our time in appropriate public settings when we date with a no-strings-attached policy, and that we would spend that time in post-date evaluation. Give us that wisdom, that discernment, that discipline, I pray. For those of us who are married, Lord, give us 
this renewed commitment to never stop dating, to take the time to date. I, I especially pray for husbands, as well as wives, but especially husbands. Help us to set the pace, to regard our wives highly, to respect our wives greatly. Help us to do that as wives to our husbands as well. Grow us, I pray, all of us in this art of dating. Would you ask the Lord to grow you in this art of dating? Just a prayer from your heart to God right now. This we all pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said...